Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Carrie Chris Benson is a registered dietitian and co-author of the book, Drinking for Two, Nutritious Mocktails for the Mom-to-Be. Prior to becoming a dietitian, she worked in a research lab for more than six years, studying the effects of alcohol exposure during pregnancy on the developing brain. This experience sparked her interest in the topic of drinking, particularly in the context of pregnancy. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. So welcome to today's episode. I am so happy to be talking with Carrie Chris Benson. I became familiar with Carrie and I follow her on uh, social media. She has released a book. It's called Drinking for Two, Nutritious Mocktails for the Mom-to-Be. Carrie is also an advocate in FASD, which is awesome because we in the FASD community say that there are never enough people talking about FASD. So we are just so happy to have Carrie here. So Carrie, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you so much, Natalie. I'm really excited to be here. Let's talk about your background because um, it's an interesting background and you were telling me um, previously about your work in a lab and studying FASD. And I think that's just so amazing how uh, your career path brought you to be um, an advocate as a dietitian and what you do. Can you share with us um, your background and what led you to become a clinical dietitian? Yeah. So just like you were saying, when I started off in college, I joined a research lab. I went to the University of Delaware And the lab was studying fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And that was completely new to me when I joined the lab. But over the the three years that I was in the lab during my undergraduate career, I learned so much. I really gained a passion for it. And then while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do career-wise, I decided to pursue a master's degree, continue working in that lab for an extra year. Um, I did another project, published some uh, research articles, but once I got to the end of that time, while I was you know, still very passionate about FASDs and the topic of alcohol and pregnancy, I kind of realized that my career interests were not in line with a career in research. I wanted to pursue something more along the lines of clinical. So I sort of went through a whole bunch of career options. I was thinking, do I want to be a doctor, a physical therapist, physician's assistant? You know, there, I went through everything you know, shadow people, try different things. And then all of a sudden I happened upon the career of dietetics. And I actually was a figure skater growing up. So nutrition was really important to my training as a skater, but I never really thought about it. And I never had any experience with a dietitian, which frankly, I probably should have, (laughs) but it just wasn't that common amongst the skaters that I trained with at any rate. So I I learned about this career path and I was like, wow, this is perfect. This is going to help me pursue a clinical career path while um, bringing in something that I really love, which is nutrition. Um, You know, I love being in the kitchen, cooking, baking. So 
And I just had a really strong personal interest in nutrition. So I was like, this is the career path for me. So then I moved to Boston. I got another master's degree and I was studying nutritional epidemiology, which also gave me kind of a different perspective on nutrition. So, you know, a little bit more of a a broader training than just clinical dietetics. So once I did all of my academic training, I relocated to Ohio where I had to complete um, a 1200 hour internship. That's something that all dietitians have to complete. It's part of our training. Um, so I did that. And then I had to take an exam to become board certified. And then I was a dietitian. So once you're a dietitian, there's many different avenues that you can go down. But I decided that at least initially, I wanted to stick with inpatient clinical dietetics. So That basically means that as a clinical dietitian, I work in a hospital and I see any person who gets admitted for, you know, whatever reason, I'm actually in a role where I cover all different floors and units in the hospital. So I see, you know, really any kind of patient and provide medical nutrition therapy, whether that's helping them get education on a specific diet or um, whether that's providing nutrition support, that's, those are some of the examples of things that I do as a clinical dietitian. So I am so amazed that you learned about FASD during your undergrad and your studies, especially since you, you know, fascinated you and you were asked to participate or you selected to participate in an FASD lab. So tell me how that all came about. So, you know, at the time, I guess everything happens for a reason. I, at the time was thinking about becoming a doctor at that point in my college career. So, you know, I was just looking at research as a way to kind of, you know, get something that I could put on my resume. I had no idea what I was getting myself into from, first of all, what research is. And then second of all, you know, the whole world of FASD, I just had absolutely no clue and I interviewed for this one um, neuroscience lab. They, the lab at the time was um, studying something called neurogenesis, which is the development or the production of neurons in particular areas of the brain, which actually only occurs in adulthood in two areas of the brain. So what the lab was studying was how does alcohol during pregnancy in an an animal model of FASD, how does that impact neurogenesis later in life? So I was just looking at this as like a research opportunity, neuroscience, kind of just, you know, crossing off a box for my resume. But, you know, as I spent time in the lab and, you know, read the research, we did, you know, weekly journal clubs. I had to defend thesis projects. I presented at conferences, published papers, you know, I, just learned so much about the damage that alcohol can do to the brain, you know, both in those animal models, and then also, you know, reading the research on the clinical data from the human research. And it just really gave me, you know, a passion for this topic of drinking during pregnancy. And it also opened my eyes to the fact that it's actually such a controversial topic, you know, for me, learning about it through that lens, it seemed very obvious that, you know, drinking should be avoided during pregnancy. And it was to me kind of like, why is there any sort of debate? But it also opened my eyes to the fact that there is a lot of debate and there's a lot of misinformation out there. So kind of came full circle when I, when I got my credential as a dietitian, you know, I wanted to use my 
clinical basis to be able to convey that information to people. And that's kind of where my, my book comes into play, you know, sort of gave me a voice to be able to talk about that issue. And it's just a great resource. So I love hearing about how you learned about FASD because most of us learn it from, many of us learn it from experience and, you know, myself, like being a parent advocate. So it's so amazing. I think on behalf of like parents and caregivers, I thank you for wanting to learn more, you know, as in your profession, because I don't think there are many people like that who, who are like, wow, this is important. This is amazing. Mm. You know, and, and knowing the effects of how alcohol affects the brain. So thank you, first of all. And um, secondly, it's awesome how you learned about FASD and the contributions you want to make for the FASD community, especially from a dietitian um, standpoint. Let's talk about how your um, passion for mocktails and alcohol-free living started to gain momentum. Yeah, sure. Um, I connected with a girl, my co-author, Diana Lacalzi, when I was um, in grad school at Tufts. So we were both in the same nutrition program, becoming dietitians. And she had this opportunity, long story, that came to her where somebody from a publishing company said, if somebody was to write a mocktail recipe book for pregnant women, who should that be? Should that be like an obstetrician or should that be a dietitian? And Diana was like, well, obviously it should be a dietitian. I want to be the one to do it. So, you know, Diana had this project and then she came to me because she knew that I worked in a lab studying fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and had that passion And she was like, do you want to work on this project with me? And for me, it just was like an aha moment. It was just kind of the moment in my career that I was waiting for. It was just such a cool opportunity to be able to take that background that I had and all that, you know, knowledge and training that I had from my experiences in the lab and then apply it in my career as a clinical dietitian. So I jumped at the opportunity, but again, it just kind of, you know, came to me. So Um, So we worked on this mocktail recipe book called Drinking for Two. And so far, you know, we've been really fortunate that it's had, you know, a lot of great press and people seem to really be liking the drinks. But that was kind of my first introduction into mocktails and alcohol-free living, to get back to your question, was really just developing those recipes for Drinking for Two. When I, you know, I've recently given up alcohol, but when I was drinking, I primarily drink wine and beer because, um, you know, cow, uh, cocktails are typically, you know, higher in sugar and they just don't agree with me. So I just prefer wine and beer usually. So the whole mocktail thing was a completely new thing. Like what I call the sober space and this alcohol-free movement that was all new to me as well. And when we were kind of doing publicity and marketing for drinking for two, that was when we started interacting with that community. And then when we started working on our second book, which is coming out later this spring, hopefully late May, <laughs> um, we don't exa- have exactly have a date yet, but I'll, I'll keep you posted. Um, so when we started working on book two, uh, both of us started doing more research on the effects of alcohol and health. And I think that was kind of a learning experience for both of us. You know, I was thinking about this the other day about even as a dietitian, my knowledge and training on the effects of alcohol on the body were actually pretty limited. And I'm learning a lot more now than I did when I was in school, which doesn't seem right to me, but you know, here we are. 
So that was kind of an eye-opening experience for us. And then all of this is happening in the context of COVID when you know, we're seeing and studies are showing that more people are turning to alcohol as a coping mechanism. So, you know, we got through the summer and I think both of us were kind of on this path to wanting to definitely be more moderate about our alcohol intake, excuse me, from a health standpoint. Um, And I don't know, randomly in August, we just decided, hey, let's just do an alcohol-free challenge. Why not? You know, it wasn't in line with any month. It wasn't like dry July. We just wanted, we're like, hey, let's do it. So we stopped drinking for a month and then Diana has actually continued to be alcohol free since then. So she's over six months. I was drinking, you know, pretty minimally after that. And then once dry January started, it got to the point where I was like, I don't know why I need to keep drinking. So at this point, I'm, I I wouldn't say that I'm sober. I wouldn't say that I'm hundred percent alcohol free, but I haven't consumed any alcohol since January and I don't really plan to. I'm just not going to put a label on sort of what I'm doing, but, you know, we've just been really engaging with this, um, this sober curious movement and all of these, you know, great people that are on social media. Hopefully through that too, I guess I haven't, I'm, I'm trying to do this a little bit more now with my, you know, social media FASD Fact Friday campaign, but hopefully I can also bring awareness to the sober community about FASD as well and kind of, you know, get them on board and help spread the word. I love that. That would be a wonderful alliance, you Mm -hmm. know, for the FASD community. And we were talking before we started recording. It is so ingrained in our society, alcohol, you know, I mean, thousands of years and, and just, you know, it seems like if you don't drink, there's questions versus, oh, well, if you drink, it's okay because everybody's Mm -hmm. doing it. So I love hearing about, you know, how people are embracing alcohol-free lifestyles and, and, and how it's not, it's not something that should be like, oh, well, is there a reason why you're not drinking? No, just, you know, you don't have to, like you said, it's, it's especially, you know, when you see the effects, like for us as parents, when we see the effects of alcohol in the brain, you know, in, in our son, I, I really hope that more people just in, in, in our culture in general, just start asking more why, like, why is alcohol so normalized, you know, yeah. because, you know, we know that there was a study I quoted and read that I believe binge drinking among women in COVID is up 41%. I think, yeah. you know, you've seen that too. Mm-hmm. And so putting that together as drinking as an unhealthy coping mechanism, and then we know, you know, the number of unplanned pregnancies it scares me and and many, many people that, you know, after COVID, there's going to be a pretty dramatic uptick in babies born who are prenatally exposed to alcohol. Listening to your education and and your your clinical background and everything, I'm thinking about like my background, totally separate, but working, you know, I worked with veterans who were in substance abuse in the VA Mm -hmm. uh, and and also working uh, in early intervention and Head Start with kids who were, you know, prenatally exposed to drugs, but nobody in, in, in either of those populations, nobody ever talked about FASD or nobody ever talked about the dangers of drinking while pregnant, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's almost like people just assume it, there's two mindsets either. Okay. You don't do it. And everybody knows you don't do it or well, 
a little bit or what's it really going to hurt? Your alliance with, you know, sober spaces, you know, and, and, and alcohol-free movements, I think is great because it will hopefully bring a lot more attention to yeah. FASD and, and how people can make better choices, you know, not only while women are pregnant, but just in general. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about um, what you learned writing the book and things you've learned about, you know, mocktails and nutrition during pregnancy. I was talking with you about this before we got started, but unfortunately as dietitians, we don't get a lot of training about um, nutrition during pregnancy. I think part of that stems from the fact that, you know, it's, it's kind of challenging to study and we don't have a ton of human research studies looking at that population. That's definitely changing. And actually this year when the dietary guidelines for Americans was released, they did include some guidelines for pregnant women's. And that's the first time that's ever happened. So this is all kind of changing. At any rate, we just don't get a a lot of training. So a lot of the research that I did for the book was just kind of on my own. Diane and I, what we did was on our own. In the book, we talk just kind of briefly, because we're not, we don't consider ourselves experts in um, nutrition and pregnancy by any means. But we talk a little bit about, you know, just some of the basics and, you know, some things to kind of focus on. Um, We highlight some nutrients, you know, really many nutrients, you need more of them during pregnancy. And we just talk about those in our, in our appendices um, and just kind of how to build, kind of have a balanced diet. And we sort of take a plant-based approach, but plant-based doesn't necessarily mean vegetarian or vegan. It just means, you know, having a high representation of plant foods in what you're eating and kind of limiting foods that are more highly processed. From the nutrition standpoint, those are some of the things you focus on. Then, of course, we had, you know, a good discussion in the book about alcohol during pregnancy, because that's kind of the whole point of the book um, is to, you know, bring awareness to that topic and to provide women with an alternative to an alcoholic beverage during pregnancy so they don't have to feel like they're missing out on anything. We also talk about added sugar. That's something that it was very important as dietitians for Diana and I to be mindful of the use of added sugar in drinks. There's definitely some growing literature on some of the negative effects of having a diet that's higher in added sugars and highly processed foods during pregnancy and some of the negative effects that could have on a developing child or you know a child as they're growing up after pregnancy. We were just wanted to be very mindful of the use of added sugars in our drinks because, of course, cocktails can be very high in added sugars. And then in addition to things like simple syrup or even just white sugar, of course, there's the use of juices or juice cocktails. There's ginger beer, there's soda. There's just so many ways that added sugar can sneak its way into you know, a cocktail or a mocktail. And we wanted to develop recipes with minimal added sugar and then on the other hand, including ingredients that have nutritional value. So a lot of the flavor in our drinks comes from um, whole fruits. So, you know, we'll either muddle whole fruits or some of our drinks are blended, you know, like our pina colnata, which of course is a non-alcoholic version of the pina colada. So that one's made with whole fruits. And we actually have frozen cauliflower blended in our pina colada, which sounds kind of funky, but you don't taste it. And then you get all of the the fiber and the the vitamins and minerals in the cauliflower. And, you know, it doesn't look or taste different at all. We also use fresh herbs a lot in our recipes. So, you know, mint, sage, thyme, things like that, rosemary. We use spices in a few of our recipes. 
to add sweetness, we use a lot of coconut water in our drinks, which has some natural sugars in it and also has electrolytes, which, you know, if you're trying to hydrate, that's, it's good to, you know, include things like potassium and sodium along with the fluid to help actually get the the water into your cells. We mindfully use sweeteners. So we chose to go with natural sweeteners. There's not really any differences in nutritional value between you know, conventional white sugar versus honey. A lot of people, there's a lot of misinformation about that, but they're pretty much the same. Added sugar is added sugar when you, it comes down to it. But we chose to use things like honey, agave nectar, we used in a lot of our drinks, maple syrup, just because we thought the flavors, or in the case of agave, kind of the lack of flavor and just kind of the pure sweetness um, lent itself to particular drinks. Or in the case of blended drinks, we were able to use um, dates to add sweetness. So again, you're getting you know, a dried fruit with, um, you know, vitamins and that adds nutritional value. So we just sort of came at the whole mocktail. So Carrie, it sounds like you and Diana really took an out of the box approach to making mocktails. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're not, we're not mixologists by training by any means. Um, and like I was saying before, I'm not really somebody who likes to drink cocktails. So the whole concept of mocktails was new to us. And I think that allowed us to sort of look at it with sort of a fresh set of eyes and from this different perspective and put our own spin on it. Very cool. Very cool. And with spring and summer coming up, people will hopefully, you know, if they, they have their own gardens or if they grow herbs inside, or if they have, you know, little gardens or whatever, they will have more access to these fresh ingredients, which will make it even more enjoyable that, that Mm -hmm. they can, you know, they can use their own fresh herbs and things like that. So I love that. I love that out of the box approach to mocktails and especially emphasizing on the nutritional part of it too, you know? So moving on, Carrie, let's talk about words of wisdom from your clinical experience as a clinical dietitian. What words of wisdom can you share with those who are thinking about becoming pregnant or who may already be pregnant? You know, and this is coming from somebody who has never been pregnant before. You know, I don't have any children, so I don't have that personal experience. But, you know, my understanding of this time is that, you know, it's, it's a, hopefully a wonderful time, but it's also a time where there's a lot of stress um, and a lot of worry about what's to come. And if you're concerned, if you're some of you trying to conceive or you're already pregnant, and you want to optimize your nutrition, you know, I would just recommend trying to get in touch with a dietitian and staying, staying far, far away from Google, you know, reaching out to a nutrition professional who can give you some solid advice and some guidance on what to do, because it can be very overwhelming. There's a lot of mixed messages coming from, you know, from medical professionals, from family members, from friends, you know, oh, I did this and had this outcome so on and so forth. And then of course there's Dr. Google, you know, so I would just kind of put your blinders on, you know, and, and seek information from credentialed health professionals, but also use your intuition because there are a lot of people who may give you information that, you know, if it doesn't quite sit well with you, I would always feel comfortable getting a second opinion. And then also, of course, I would advocate that anybody who is considering trying to get pregnant or anybody who's already pregnant, of course, you know, abstaining from alcohol and, you know, incorporating alcohol-free options, you know, of course, my, 
I think I think my book is a good reference for that. But there's so many products available that weren't even available to my knowledge like five or ten years ago. So, you know, it can be really exciting trying all of these new products and exploring the you know all of the alcohol-free options that are out there. So you definitely don't have to feel left out. You don't feel like you're missing it on it, out on anything. You don't have to be worried about, you know, hiding the fact that you're not drinking from other people because you can easily just, you know, have one of these alcohol-free options and nobody has to know it's alcohol-free. And frankly, it's not anybody's business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we share your information, especially on how to get your book and how to follow you on social media. We like to end our episodes on hope takeaways, which are basically just words of hope from our guest that will give our listeners hope for their journeys, especially those who are parents or caregivers of those with FASD or those who are living with FASD. So what words of hope can you offer our audience? Um, as far as words of hope, I would just say something that has really, I think, um, kind of come into my consciousness over the past few months. You know, we kind of hear a lot about the drawbacks of, you know, social media and, you know, the dangers. But um, I've, I've actually found that within the sober space, it's been a really great way to connect with people. So, you know, I would just say, you know, keep reaching out to people and, you know, looking for people who've had similar experiences as you, because they're definitely out there. There's always somebody that you're going to be able to relate to. So never, never feel like you're alone. I feel like now more than ever, you know, these like Facebook uh, communities and groups and these, you know, even Instagram accounts where you, you come across people in the comments, I've, I've come across so many great people and just been able to connect and talk about shared experiences and, you know, work towards shared goals, like in the FASD community, that's how I connected with Aubrey Page was, you know, via Instagram, we were talking about that earlier. So there's always somebody out there who you're going to be able to find to be able to support you. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm so happy to know you and to be able to follow you on social media, because again, I'm thrilled that you're an ally in FASD. And not only are you passionate about alcohol-free pregnancies and, you know, awareness of FASD, but you're also doing something about it by co-authoring this wonderful book and your upcoming books. So let's get to that now. How can folks purchase your book or how can people get in touch with you or follow you? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so our, our first book, Drinking for Two Nutritious Mocktails for the Mom-to-Be, it's available on Amazon. It's also available at Barnes & Noble, Target, um, a lot of indie bookstores. Our next book, Mocktail Party, is the title. Um, that'll be coming out late May, early June. The exact publication date, I think, is still to be determined, but the book is off to the press, so it's, it's coming out soon, hopefully. <laughs> um, and as far as getting in touch with me, the best way is through Instagram. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I really love connecting with people. So always feel free to reach out via direct message. And my handle is healthy cravings, but it's C-R-A-Y-V-I-N-G-S. I'm sure that'll be available in the notes. Yes. Yes. And we will be listing all of this. So Carrie Benson, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope today. Thank you so much, Natalie. It was a real pleasure talking with you. And everybody take care and we'll catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com 
or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.